God bless you. You can be seated. Uh, what a wonderful weekend we've had. Uh, just building and strengthening relationships, meeting some new people, and, and having an opportunity to come and to be part of this wonderful celebration. It's a great time for the church, and I believe with all of my heart that these days that we're in are the best potential and possibilities that the church has had certainly in my lifetime and perhaps in the last several hundred years. I believe that God is up to something great, and that's not just hype. It's, there's some hope mixed in, but that's not hype. How many believe that we serve a God who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that you can ask or think? And so sometimes we just, amen, sometimes we just, we don't think big enough stuff, amen, and uh, we need to realize that we serve a God who is so far beyond us and so good to us, amen. And even in difficult times and tumultuous global issues, pandemics and all kinds of unrest and things like that, how many are glad that there's still a God in heaven who loves you, amen, and has a plan for your life and a purpose for you? And so I'm excited to be here. I've had a good time this weekend. And how many would just take a moment today to acknowledge with me the event that took place yesterday, and that was the installation of a brand-new pastor and his lovely wife. How many are thinking that the best days of this church are ahead? Amen? Amen. We, we honor you guys, John and Desiree. We're excited about what God is doing, what he's already done. I, I don't know that I've ever, and I work with leaders all over the world, actually, but I don't know that I've ever met a more capable, uh, sincere, equipped couple who are perfectly positioned to lead a church into the future than this wonderful couple that has now accepted the, the position as pastor of this church. And, uh, you know, I'm just so excited for you. I really am. And uh, I know that the church has been through a lot of change, and I've been through a lot of change in my life. How about you? Anybody been through a lot of change? I know you have. I know you have. How many wish God would get it right and leave it alone? Yeah, I think all of us uh, have moments of our life where we wish God would just get it right and leave it alone. But, you know, change, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Uh, but I want to talk with you about today about the posture of a church when a new pastor is installed, the posture and positioning of a new church that will help you to access the potential that God has for you in this church. How many believe there's an awful lot of people in the Odessa area, Odessa Midland area that need Jesus? Amen. And so though you may have been in this church since its inception, it doesn't matter. I mean, that's a good thing. God bless you for that. But God's not through with you, and he still has a plan for you. And God is not trying to make up your life and your church future as he goes along. He's already made up his mind about you. How many thinks that's a good word right there? Amen. That he's already made up his mind about you, already knows what he wants to do. So the truth is, his determination for us becomes our discovery as we discover what God had planned for us all along. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. I'd like you to open your Bible to the book of John. Uh, now, my wife and I lead a ministry or serve a ministry called Destiny Ministries. And uh, if you'd like to check us out online, you can certainly do that at destinyleaders.com, destinyleaders.com. And uh, when you look into Destiny, you'll find a group of people from every walk of life, every ethnic background who are totally in love with Jesus, totally in love with each other, and are in it to win it for God in his kingdom. We have about 200 churches or so that are part of our Destiny Network about 450 or so ministers who are ordained and licensed and credentialed with us. And so I told the group yesterday, and I reiterate it today, that I believe every opportunity to speak to God's people is a divine appointment. So I don't think that you're here by accident. I don't think that I'm here by accident. I believe in the realm of the supernatural, there can be a convergence of God's will and his plan and our immediate moment that can be transformative and change our lives forever. That's the reason that we load up in airplanes and travel from city to city or in cars. And the reason that we do what we do is not just to sermonize, but to 
to the end that we believe that God is able to do something so powerful in the lives of people. And I'm a life that was changed. So you may be sitting in this audience today and you may think, wow, if you only knew what I've been through or if you only knew what I've done or what's been done to me, you wouldn't be so optimistic, Brother Brasso. But I'm going to tell you what, I'm optim- I'm, I feel optimistic, not so much because of the condition of your life, but because of the position of our God. Amen. And I just know what God can do with people who will give him a chance. Amen. So how many are already? You ready for the word today? All right. Well, let's look at John. And I want to kind of seam something together from the New Testament and Old Testament for you. And so if you'll bear with me just a second, I I want you to look at John. Now, we're right now in the middle of a study in the book of John. One of the things that we do with our ministry teams and our ministry families around the nation is we try to study books of the Bible together. So if you visit our website, you'll see under the Connect tab, you'll see a section uh, on the Gospel according to John. And we're in a six-week study right now. We're working our way through the book. And so we're not quite halfway there. This coming week will be half, uh, halfway through the book. But I love John's Gospel. John writes his gospel, most scholars believe, toward the end of the first century. Matthew, Mark, and Luke had been written, as best we can tell, and widely circulated, and there was a common knowledge. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the early church fathers, Irenaeus, said in the early part of the second century, and he was a, a disciple, I think it was of Polycarp, which was a direct disciple of John, that John wrote the book of John with an intent to kind of explain some of the things the other Gospels didn't. So you'll find interesting things in John that are not recorded in the other Gospels. It's definitely worth your study. So I want to draw a scripture out of the very first chapter. When John opens his Gospel, it's called the the prologue. Actually, that first 18 verses of uh, John chapter 1 is called the prologue. Uh, I call it John's thesis or John's proposal. And essentially, John gives us his proposal for the gospel was to demonstrate that Jesus Christ was with God, from God, was God, and that ultimately he came in the flesh and dwelt among us, that he literally tabernacled among us. He begins the gospel by saying, in the beginning, the Greek is arche. It, it has more to do with source than time. We, we want to put a chronological timeline on God, but how many understand that God dwells in eternity, and eternity is not a long time. Eternity is no time. And so God dwells in that realm of eternity, and so John says, and he's actually writing to a Greek audience largely, uh, and so if you notice, just to give you a little Bible class this morning, if you notice, he, like Matthew and Luke, for example, he doesn't start with these long, endless genealogies as they try to defend the fact that Jesus was the heir to the Davidic monarchy or the seed of Abraham or things that, that Jewish people would have understood and felt relevant. He actually writes to a Greek audience. And who says you can't teach an old dog new tricks? Right, Because John's an aged apostle, he's Jewish to the core, but he actually begins using a Greek philosophical concept to demonstrate who God is. This is how he says it. He says, in the beginning, from the source came the Logos. The word Logos was a term first used by, I'm pretty sure, a redneck philosopher. And the reason I think he was probably a redneck philosopher because his name was Heraclitus. Now, how are you going to have a name like Hierocletus and not be a redneck? You know what I'm saying? Hierocletus had developed this idea of how to explain the unexplainable. How to, how to, you know, the sun rose and, and set. They didn't understand the scientific things behind it. So the Greeks would ascribe it to the Logos. Essentially, in their mind, it was the force that caused everything to be. They believed that there was this abstract, impersonal force that caused the sun to rise and set, caused the wind to blow, caused the things that they couldn't explain through empirical evidence they would ascribe to the Logos. So I love what John does. He says, you're absolutely right. There is a force. So let's read it in motion, right? From the source came the force. The force of the universe. Everybody say with me, let the force be with you. From the source came the force, and the force was with God, and the force was God, and the force then tabernacled in a person named Jesus Christ. 
that that abstract force that the Greeks believed that caused everything to be literally became a person and took on flesh and lived among us. And then later in John's gospel, he explained, he said, I'm writing these things that you may believe two things. Number one, that Jesus was the Messiah of the Jewish nation, but he also was the Son of God. So he encapsulates Jew and Gentile, Greek and bond, all these people from every walk of life. John's gospel is a gospel for all of us. Come on, somebody with me, for the entire world. Amen. And so if you're into uh, science and you're into the forces of the universe, well, that force had an origin, and that origin was God. And if you're into Jewish and Judaic studies, well, he was also the Jewish Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach in in the Hebrew. He was the anointed one. And I love the fact that his last name's anointed. Uh, Isn't that cool, Jesus? And the anointing is so central to Christianity that Jesus made it his last name. That's all Christos or Christ means is anointed. So now we're going to get to our verse in John chapter 1. But So Jesus, uh, John has produced the the introduction, the prologue, or John's uh, proposal to us that Jesus is the Messiah and the Christ. He is the Christ and the Son of God. And then John begins to build the case. And so his first evidence that he brought to the court of public opinion was a Hebrew-style prophet named John the Baptist. And so now we see that this proposal of Jesus being the Jewish Messiah first, that you may know that he is and believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, he gives evidence to that by bringing the first Hebrew prophet in over 400 years that would emerge on the scene. And this was John the Baptist. And he begins to give the evidence where John literally says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus begins to put together his early band of disciples. In the passage that I want to draw your attention to today, we see this happening. And I want to draw your attention, chapter 1, verse 43. I'm going to jet through this very quickly because it's not really my message. But as you get better acquainted with me, you'll find out that I have the longest introductions and the shortest sermons. Okay, so... Uh, when, I get, when I get where I'm going, it'll all be over, all right? <laughs> all right, so here we go. Verse 43 of chapter 1. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter, who were brothers. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him who Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? For everyone in the room who's ever felt like people dismissed you because you came from the wrong side of the tracks, this is a good word for us because, listen, no matter where you're from, no matter who you are, when God is added to your life, all things are possible, right? Anything can happen. Amen. But Nathanael, as the stereotypical person in his day, considered Nazareth to be a little colloquial hillbilly town up in the Judean highlands in the Galilee region, and, uh, and they just thought nothing good happens. No major prophets had come out of Nazareth. There was no claim to fame. There was no school of rabbinical tradition. There was nothing there would have given Jesus the appropriate credentials, if you will, to have been considered someone that was important. So Nathanael says, what can good come out of Nazareth? In verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. We don't know what was going on under the fig tree, but apparently it made an instant believer out of Nathanael. Maybe he was in a business deal. Maybe there was an opportunity for him to have taken a bribe or have, to done, some, uh, have done something that was immoral. Or, we don't know what it was, but whatever it was, it caused Jesus to give him props and Nathaniel to become a believer. Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And we see this theme being echoed that John has set forth in his proposal to us. You are the king. You are the son of God and the king of Israel. Jesus answered to him and said, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? Let me tell you, boy, you're going to see better things and bigger things than that. That's, not, that's just the beginning. 
And then he says something very interesting that to us is a mystery, but to everyone in the Jewish world who understood the Old Testament would have instantly understood it completely. This is what he said in verse 51. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This is a reference to Jacob's ladder. Every good Israelite, every good Jewish person would have known the story backwards and forwards. It was one of the dominant stories in their culture. It was one of, their, it was one of the tales of their folklore. It was, it was part of their culture. They understood the story of Jacob, one of the founding fathers of the nation of Israel in the experience he had at a place that Jacob called Bethel, Bethel where heaven opened over him and the angels of God were ascending and descending on the ladder. Anybody in the room ever heard of Jacob's ladder? Besides the, the rock song, <laughs> you've heard of Jacob's ladder? Yeah, it's interesting to me that Jesus says in this particular passage, he essentially equates himself as the ladder of Jacob's dream. He equates himself as the ladder of of Jacob's dream. Now we'll get to that in a moment. I'm going to pray over our time together and then I want to talk with you under the general theme count me in. What I think needs to happen in this congregation is the church together with these pastors begins to move forth and move into the future. I think everyone in the building in your heart needs to make a resounding statement count me in. That I'm not going to choose to be a critic. I'm not going to choose to be a bystander. I'm not going to take the posture, well, we're just going to sit back and see how it all works out. No, no, I'm praying that by the time I get through with this message today, you're going to be challenged as the congregation of this great church to say, listen, I'm not going to be someone just sitting on the side. You can count me in. God, whatever you've got planned, you can put me in the play because I'm ready to be part of what God's going to do. I need a good amen for that right there. Amen. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this beautiful congregation. Thank you, Lord, for the time that we have together. And I just pray now by your spirit you'll do what I can't do. Lord, that you will open every filter and that you will open every heart. And God, I pray that in these moments that we share together that you will accomplish things that will last for a lifetime and into eternity. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay, so there is power in your will. There is power in your will. One of the gifts that God gave to all of us in the process of creation was the ability to choose our future. The ability to choose our attitudes. The ability to choose our position. It's one of the most fundamentally human qualities God put in us, but at the same time, it's fundamentally divine. This ability that we all have to make a choice, to agree. Agreement is a powerful thing. It's also a destructive thing when it's not present. Anybody in the room has ever lived in a home where there was a high level of disagreement? How many knows it's more, much more fun to live in a home where there's a high level of agreement than there is to live in a home where there is high levels of disagreement? And the enemy is out to divide us. The spirit of division that's sweeping the world, in my opinion, is the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit that has been released against this world, against the church to bring division because the enemy knows how powerful we are when we agree. While every one of us have different backgrounds, each of us have unique experiences, and I'm not diminishing that in any way. The fact is, each of us has a story, and that's one of the things we share in common, is that not the same story, but the fact that we all have one. But the one thing that can rally us and should rally us in the universe is our allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. To access power, there has to be an agreement. So let me kind of break into this. And I don't know whether there's any science teachers. I know there's a lot of educators here in the room, but I don't know whether there's any science teachers, and I'm honestly hoping not. 
I want to talk with you for a second about energy. Now, in my layman's understanding about energy, there are basically two types of energy that exist. And if you are, I mean, I'll just ask, is any science teachers in the room, any chemistry scientists or any of that stuff? Okay, good. Just got a lot easier. I can tell you whatever I want to tell you, and you won't know the difference. Okay. <laughs> there are two kinds of energy. One is called potential energy, and the other is called kinetic energy. Potential energy and kinetic energy. Potential energy is energy in reserve. In other words, it's there, but it hasn't been accessed yet. It's potential energy. But kinetic energy is energy in motion. That's an energy that has been accessed and released. And when energy goes from potential to kinetic, the process is called energy transfer. Uh, some of you, a couple of weeks ago, if you had a fireplace, you could understand this really and how important it is because there is potential energy in a hickory log, but then when you put it in the fireplace and light a match and it gives you warmth when you don't have power, come on, somebody, am I preaching to you, When you do that, you are seeing energy transfer in motion where the potential that's in that log is going from potential energy to kinetic energy as it's been accessed. But you know what? For you to do that, to take potential energy from that stage to go to kinetic energy, you have to have a spark. You have to have a switch. You have to have a conductor. You need a valve. If energy is stored up, this is a, a big oil and gas area. So if there's energy that's stored up in a pipeline, if you're going to access that energy and release it, there's somebody's got to turn the valve and open the valve and let the flow, whether it's hydroelectric or something along those lines or whatever it is, doesn't matter. Somebody has got to flip the switch. Look at your neighbor and say, turn the switch. Pull the chain, twist the dial, whatever. If you're ever going to access the potential that's inside of you, something has got to happen that's different than the status quo you've always had. This conductor could be called agreement. In a sense, uh, the electricity in this building and the switches that we have around this building that allow lights, the energy's there. It's potential energy, but somebody's got to flip the switch on. And when that happens, light comes. And now a dark room becomes an illuminated place, a room where there's not been the ability to maneuver and work without bumping yourself into things. And suddenly everything changes because someone agreed with the electrician and took the switch and released the energy. Is anybody? in the room with me this morning yeah okay so you get the idea we access potential energy through a portal called change and I mentioned at the outset of my monologue this morning in my message that sometimes I wish God would get it right and leave it alone I've been through a lot of change in my life and I'm honest at 58 I'm kind of wishing it would never change again but that's just not how life works. And when you stop changing, you stop accessing your potential. In other words, when you stop changing, you have suddenly got all you're going to get. You have suddenly arrived at any, the, the furthest you're going to go until you're willing to embrace the change and set your agreement to the change. You're forced to stay where you are with what you have. change people do this and we could apply I could go through a number of other metaphors you know we save money to buy a house and that money becomes the pool it becomes the agreement that maybe a, a family puts together their agreement and saves money and that that transaction needs a funding source for you to close on a real estate deal and that that agreement that has been brought the reserve of money there for say a down payment has to have a switch there as well it's called a contract and when you sign the contract you release the potential and the cash flows into the deal and it makes the the deal work i can't overemphasize ladies and gentlemen today the fundamental nature of agreement to the operation of god's kingdom in our life 
I've taken you kind of meandered through all these different metaphorical ideas about change, but suffice it to simply say this, if you're going to get something from God, you're going to have to believe he has something more for you, and then you're going to have to add your agreement to the process. And when you add your agreement to what God has planned for you, then big things can happen in your life. That's how you get saved, isn't it? You hear someone preach about the blood of Jesus and his death on the cross for you. You hear someone preach about his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and that he not only died so that you could be forgiven, but he rose so that you could have new life. But you have to respond. You have to hear it in your heart, believe it in your heart, and then respond. And when you do, it's like flipping the switch of the supernatural in your life. It wasn't like God's goodness for you just got started. God has been holy holding up a well of goodness for you in your life, waiting for you to add your agreement to it. And when you add your agreement to it, he releases his goodness in your life. I mean, we all understand that, who have had that experience and have known it. It's a powerful thing. The scripture says it this way. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, being God. He who comes to God must build two things. Believe that he is, that he exists, You must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's another way of saying what I've just said. You have to add your agreement to all. I could take you through the promises of God. I could take you through scripture after scripture and you can hear it in your mind, hear it in your heart. But then if you're going to experience it, you've got to say, God, Count me in. I'm tired of being broke, busted, and disgusted. I'm tired of having a marriage that don't work. I'm tired of having kids that are away from God. God, count me in. Every promise that you have given is yes and amen, and I receive it by faith. Y'all forgive me. The preaching in me comes out once in a while. I try to keep it packed down, but it just, I can't help it. Agreement believes, agreement expects, agreement acts. It doesn't just say, well, maybe God could do it. No, it says God said he would, so he will. Agreement believes, it goes, it gives, it loves, it obeys, expecting the fulfillment of the promise of God. When it does, there's a release of energy from heaven. But now, let's kind of focusing on the individual believer and each of you individually with your home and your families and your personal life. But here's something important for us to understand as a congregation, that when we mix our agreement together around the purpose of God, that power is multiplied. It's multiplied. The power that's unleashed is multiplied when it's organized through agreement. When you add your faith and I add my faith and we're believing for the same thing and we share a common dream and a common vision and we're willing to invest ourselves into that, it's amazing the power that can be organized, multiplied, and released. For example, we see this in the natural world, don't we? Hurricanes form when clusters of thunderstorms begin to organize. That's what happens out in the Atlantic. Clusters of Unrelated thunderstorms begin to organize, begin to move in the same direction, feed off the same source, and begin to develop an eye wall that I will call agreement. When they move over warm tropical oceans and each begins to feed off the same source, they begin to move in the same direction with the same purpose and eye forms. And that's how it works in a church, too. How many folks have ever been around churches that were just the people kind of metaphorically were just a bunch of unrelated thunderstorms looking for someone's parade to rain on that's not what I'm talking about but you know when they begin to organize and begin to move together did you know the average cat 3 hurricane releases about the same amount of energy as 10,000 nuclear bombs The average Category 3 hurricane that began as just a bunch of prayer warriors, just a few people that added their faith and their agreement, and some had the gift of faith and some miracles and and some the gifts of the Spirit and some compassion and some, and they began to move in the same direction around the same purpose, feeding off the same source, 
And those unrelated thunderstorms in the metaphor of a hurricane can literally produce as much energy as 10,000 nuclear bombs. Listen, that's about 200 times the energy capacity of all the generating power plants in the world. One storm. The energy wasn't created by the storm. It was always there. But it was multiplied, maximized, when it was organized. This is important. This is why it's important for us in a season like this to come and say, hey, pastor, whatever I can do. Let me know the vision. Let me know the direction. I'm getting on board. Me and my family, count us in. We've been waiting for God to do something awesome. We've been waiting for what God could do. We've been waiting for God to get you in your position and you and your, your family in place. And now we're moving around the same and an eye is forming and suddenly the thunderstorms are becoming a force to be reckoned with. Amen, Brother Brassfield. Amen. Sometimes you have to encourage yourself in the Lord. Amen. Amen. Now, as I kind of begin to turn down the home stretch of my message today, let me explain to you the reason God gave covenants. We say that God is a covenant God. That God revealed himself through the covenants of the Old Testament. When we say that, covenant is simply an agreement. That God has always dealt with his people through a proposal, an agreement, and an action. That's how it works. You don't have to have more degrees than the thermometer. You don't have to have theological degrees. You don't have to, none, listen, you may look and read the Bible and say, man, I need a magic decoder ring and a thesaurus to figure this thing out. It is as simple as this. You hear the word of the Lord, you believe the word of the Lord, and you act on the word of the Lord, and powerful things begin to be released in your life. We spend so much time trying to change other people's opinions and attitudes where what we need to do is say, God, align me to your will. Align me to your purpose. God, put me in the right position. God, get my thinking right so that I can agree with what you are saying to us. Amen. So God gave his people covenants through history so he would simply give us a place to organize our agreement. And if you look at the Old Testament, you can see the Noahic covenant that was after the flood. We start in actually in the beginning with what's called the Adamic covenant. That's the covenant God made with Adam and Eve. And, and then we see the Noahic covenant in the Mosaic covenant when God gave Moses the law. And, and we see the Solomonic covenant as we go on through the Old Testament. And it's like every time God wanted to do something awesome, he would challenge his people to come into agreement with him. Because that's how their, their faith was organized. Somebody say, count me in. Uh, we have six grandsons. No girls. Six grandsons. Uh, we were hoping for a girl. But we're just not going to ever say that to the boys. But So our son, who pastors over in Temple, Texas, a great church over there called Vintage Church, <clears throat> Our son and his lovely wife, Diana, and literally he came home after, he, they were working a youth camp together and met, and he was there, met her. She was a camp counselor. He was a speaker. He came home after that youth camp one week now and said, I'm going to marry this girl, Dad. I said, well, of course you are. <laughs> of course you are. Every girl you've ever dated you wanted to marry, so of course you are, you know. And uh, she's a beautiful doll. She's, she's one of our girls. Now, that's been 13 years ago. And that sweet little black belt in karate <laughs> has given us four grandsons, uh, Noah, Jonah, and Judah. And I tried to get them to stop after three. I said, we can't afford Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Jonah. It's enough. Can I get a grandparent? Amen. You know what I'm talking about. It's like, a, they're wonderful, but they ain't cheap. But so little Asher Madison just came, and so we're celebrating his coming and, and uh, being part. But <clears throat> little Jonah, our middle, he's 10 years old now. The very first, he's very competitive of all the herd. If, I mean, this is, they, they kind of their home is pretty much a sitcom. 
all the different personalities are there. You know, that's how creators create television shows, right? They put all the personalities together, mix them up with a little drama, and we all laugh as they intersect with each other in their personalities conflict. And So Jonah, our middle one, is like the prophet Jonah. He's very competitive. He can be abrasive. He's got a smart mouth. You know, he's, I mean, he's something else. And, but, the, but growing up, his brother, his older brother is Noah. And so the very first phrase I ever heard Jonah string together. How many parents know what I'm talking about where they go from mama, dada, to actually a simple sentence with more than one word? You know, you're happy when they just add a couple of syllables together. And, you know, then after they're about 22 and they can do more than add a couple of syllables, you hope they can make a sentence and a word is important. But the very first string of words that I heard Jonah string together was me too, my turn. Now, you put that in a competitive environment with a big brother and he's having to compete for everything that he gets to do. You understand the motivation for the first sentence that boy ever was able, that I ever heard him say was, me too, my turn. We're about to go do this. The first thing Jonah would say, me too, my turn. We're going to go get the hamburger. Me too, my turn. We're going down to the amusement park. Me too, my turn. He didn't care exactly what was going to happen. He pretty much knew if Papa was involved, it was going to be fun and a little risky and who knows, who knows what could happen. He just didn't want to miss out. Me too, my turn, Papa. Well, how about we move into a position today as a church where we say like Jonah, me too, my turn. God, if you're going to do it anywhere, do it here. If you're going to do it with any church in Odessa, do it with Impact City Church. If anybody, God, is gonna be used mightily of you in this critical hour, let it be me. Me too, it's my turn. (laughs) And so I'm saying God has all this potential stored up in every one of you. No matter where you're from or who you were born or where you were born, God has a plan for your life. You weren't an accident. You weren't a product of cosmic chaos. God knows you. He has a future plan for you. And he challenges you to simply agree with him. Now you said, wow, you're going to connect the Old and the New Testament. Well, let me do that real quick before we finish. In Genesis chapter number 28, we see the story of Jacob. And the ladder that Jesus mentioned. If I could, let me just take you over there. I was going to maybe do it a different way, but let's let's just take a moment. It doesn't mean it'll be a long moment. Let's just take a moment and look at Genesis 28. We sell ourselves short so much of the time because of what we've been through and what's happened to us. But if you're going to see the, the potential God has, you've got to see it in your heart, you've got to believe it, and you've got to commit to it. Make a commitment. And for the closing, as I turn down this home stretch of the message, let me challenge you at the commitment level. Aristotle said it this way, you are what you repeatedly do. What does commitment look like? It looks like actions you take with a repeat button stuck. That's what commitment looks like. It's actions that you take with the repeat button stuck where you do it over and over and over again. John Wooden was a famous basketball coach, 10 national championships that he won, and he's an older example. There are many in the room who wouldn't, maybe you've heard his name, but he was a basketball coach at UCLA. And one of the things he taught his players was excellence and ethics in work. He always said he could take a marginal player and give them a certain amount of time. He would make a great player out of them if they had the ingredients. How did he do that? Not by just words or preaching. He did it by actions. As a matter of fact, it was said often with 10 national championships, it was often that they said about John Wooden that you could see him after practice going to the broom closet, getting a broom and sweeping the basketball floor himself. Coach Wooden. He called it and he challenged his players to be caught in common acts of excellence. Common acts 
of excellence. Wow. Many of those players went on to be millionaires. Many of them went on to be business professionals. Many of them went on to be professional athletes in the NBA. But very few of them fell short of their potential because they were challenged by a man who cared about them, loved them, saw their potential, and challenged them to arise in their agreement to the possibilities in their life. Common acts of excellence. So let me just tell you as I move to this story, here's what I'm challenging you to do. Find your broom and get busy. Find your broom and get busy because it could be a broom closet that is the catalyst and the switch and the valve that will release the fullness of God's possibility and potential for your life. There are three things that Jacob had to do. First of all, let's look at the story. Verse 10, now Jacob went out of Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place, stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set upon the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there were angels of God ascending and descending on the ladder. Jesus said to Nathaniel, you think me telling you what you were doing under the fig tree is a big deal? You wait. You hang around. You're going to see heaven opened and you're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So now Jesus personalizes the imagery of the Old Testament ladder from the dream of Jacob. Verse 13, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. You may highlight that in your Bible. The God of Abraham and Isaac. We say a lot about God. He was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. But he had never identified himself in that way to this point in the Scripture. Jacob's name wasn't added to the list yet. He says to Jacob, I am the God of Abraham, and I am the God of Isaac. It would only be later, after this experience, actually, that Jacob's name gets added to the list. I am the Lord your God, of Abraham, the father, your father, and of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You, you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And in you and your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you. Perhaps one of the most encouraging sentences in the entire Bible. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken. How many are glad that we're serving a God that when he speaks it to you, he ain't going nowhere, right? He's going to stay until he finishes what he started in your life. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God and this the very gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning, took the stone that was at his head, and set it up as a pillar. Now, it was that the night, through the night, it had been his pillow. But, I mean, and I'm from Arkansas. We don't make a lot of distinction. It's like pretty much, you know, what you sleep on is a pillar. But Jacob made a pillar out of it. In other words, he took what he slept and rested on and made it a monument. And he poured oil on top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. Well, there's a whole sermon I could preach right there about going from being an inhabitant of Luzerville <laughs> to living in the house of God. Come on, somebody. That's what will that's happen. When you move into the house of God, you'll leave Luzerville behind. Yeah. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give you a tenth. 
Okay, let me give you some quick things if you're taking a few notes. No commentary, quick things that I see about this story that wraps up this message. Number one, God revealed that covenant agreement is what connects heaven and earth. That covenant agreement is what connects heaven and earth. Anyone ever felt like heaven was a long ways away? That God, like the Streisand song, was watching from a distance? That's not what God wants to be in your life. He doesn't want to be a distant relative. He doesn't want to be a faraway entity. He doesn't want to be a, 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 a character in some theological framework of thinking that's far and removed from your situation. He wants to be right up close with you, right up in the situation. But how does that happen when you're willing to agree with him? Agreement is what connects heaven and earth. Number two, in covenant, God commands the blessing. When you're in covenant with God, he is commanding. that He's not just letting it happen. It's not an accident. It's not just circumstance. When you're in covenant with God, he is commanding the blessing. This is what Jacob learned that he didn't know previously. His daddy knew it. His granddaddy knew it, but he didn't know it. There has to be a moment where you have revelation, where it's not about what your grandma used to do or your grandpa used to do or your mama or your daddy used to do. It's about it's me, God, that's in relationship with you. You are my God. This is what Jacob says he said if you'll do all this for me then you will be my God and this will be your house to me and I'll set it up as a monument when God gives the blessing he commands it number three in covenant angels are heaven's firepower in terms of how God gets stuff done if you've ever wondered how God gets stuff done in earth often it is the work of angels in the realm of the unseen I don't have time to develop that for you I don't have but it's all over the scripture and I could Angels are real. They are in the dimension of the unseen, but because you cannot see them with our limited optic-sensitized nerves that you can't see. You know, light is an infinite stream, and we can only see what falls between red and violet. But that doesn't mean light's not there. It just means you can't see it. That's how the realm of the unseen is. It's here, but you can't see it. And that's the realm beyond our optic nerve. That's the realm of the angels of God. And we see in this dream how God gets stuff done. Angels ascending and descending. They are working to do God's will. Stand with me, would you? This is my challenge for you today. And you've been very patient as I've meandered through this story. Thank you for your attention and your kindness. What did Jacob do that caused God to add Jacob's name to the list? Because the very next time that we see that phrase used in the Bible is Exodus chapter 3. The very next time where God reveals himself at the burning bush. And what does he say to Moses? I am the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. And I'm the God of Jacob. Jacob essentially said, count me in, God. And God took him at his word and added his name to the list. What did he do? Four things. Number one, he recognized the place as the house of God. He recognized. That's where heaven is open for me. Some of you, you need to have that moment of discovery about this church. There are great churches all over this city. Every flavor, every brand, every kind. But you're here. And if this is where God has sent you, then heaven is open for you here. There is something powerful that happens in your life when you say, this is the house of God for me. This is Bethel. Jacob did it. And it so moved God that God added his name to the list. Number two, he consecrated the moment. He poured oil on the pillar. He said, I will never forget what God did for me at this moment. I will never forget what God has done. Our lives are shaped by moments in time and places where those moments occurred. Jacob had made a lot of mistakes. If you study, he had a lot of dysfunction in that family, y'all. But he, he made a, listen, he made a monument out of a moment in the presence of God that he never forgot. Number three, he made a vow. That's your agreement. He spoke it with his mouth. If you do this, God, then I will do that. And he did. And number four, 
Some of you may have hoped I had gotten run out of time before I got to number four, and maybe I did, I don't know. He paid his tithe. Wow. Well, some of you are thinking, he was kind of iffy, this preacher. He was on the bubble, but I just scratched him off my list. But I can't change the truth. It's in the story. There was a revelation with Jacob. He understood that whatever he sowed into, he became a part of. And the blessing flowed through his agreement with his finance. Look at what he did. He paid his tithe. In that moment, yeah, God, you're going to be my God. I make a vow that I'll love you and serve you and all that. And he said, oh, by the way, of everything you bless me with, I'm going to give a tenth back to you. When you step into that level of faith, ladies and gentlemen, where you take a tenth of your income and sow it into the house of God, there is a release of energy. There is a release of power. There is a release of potential that is unexplainable but undeniable. Jacob didn't know it, but he demonstrated a truth that Jesus would later teach in Matthew 6, 21, where he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Somebody say, count me in. Bow your heads and close your eyes if you would. Lord, I thank you for your word today. Thank you again for this incredible opportunity to share with this wonderful group of people. Lord, I pray that nothing I've said has been offensive. Or do you know the heart that I have tried to share it with? But I do pray, God, that there, there are those in this room that have been challenged that this weekend's not just going to be a passing, oh, yeah, well, that was nice. It was a lovely service on Saturday. Nice meal, and we're glad to have a past, pastors. It's a, it's a him and her, pastors in our church. But then there are those who say, wait a minute. This is a moment we should make a monument. This is a moment that if I will invest my agreement, if I will invest my attention, if I will invest my time and my finance, God will change something. And there will be a release of potential that we've never accessed before. If you're here and you'd say, that's me, Brother Brassville. No one's looking around. Heads are bowed. I'm a responsive preacher. I like to give people a chance to hear the word and then let them respond. If that's you and you'd say, Brother Brassville, count me in. I'm not going to call you up, not going to point you out, not going to embarrass you. No one's looking but me. But I want you to have a chance to do what Jacob did. And that's, say, God, add my name to the list. If you're here and that's you, would you just raise your hand right where you're standing? Count me in. Whatever you have, God. I'm all in. I'm all in. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. Thank you. Let me pray this prayer for you. Lord, you saw every hand that was raised. I pray, God, that you will do in the heart what the hand said. The hand said yes. Now let that switch in the heart be flipped to yes. And, God, I pray that great things, great things will be released through the wonderful people who have set themselves in agreement with your word today in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen, amen, amen. God bless you. You've been a great group. Wonderful to be with you. I look forward to seeing you again. Amen. Okay. <clears throat>